Eurovision. Welcome to Eurovision, a podcast with a unique Irish perspective on the Eurovision Song Contest. 12 points. Ireland. Oh, Dana, welcome back to the Airvision podcast and another big episode, part two of our Ireland discussion on what's going to happen next for us at the Eurovision Song Contest. Where do we go? What should Ireland do next? That is what we're discussing last time. We should go to the final. <laughs> yeah! Declan McCartan eight, inspired eight, there. Eight, eight, <laughs> Last time myself and Lou gave our opinions and we also shared your insight into what we... Loved t- hearing from people. Yeah. It was, it was really, really good. Some really, really good insight. Yeah. A lot of us on the same page about things as well, which is great totally. to hear. Um, but this time, this time, Lou, we've got even more opinions, more voices, some familiar faces from the Airvision podcast and new familiar friends as well that you might have heard of, you know, certain YouTubers. But... Before that, how are you, Lou? How are you doing after our little discussion last time? And by little, I mean an hour long. <laughs> Felt like a bit of a therapy session. It did, didn't it? Came away. Feeling good. Nice zen. Feeling ready, feeling energy. Ready to go on my three week long trip away yeah. from Ireland. <laughs> You're going dead I was going into SBS being like, give us some tips. How do we get top 10, lads? <laughs> um, no, Grant. Grant, I'm looking forward to this chat now. We should mm-hmm. give a little intro to our pals joining us. We have, of course, the one, the only, Alex Basmati, <laughs> part of the Eurovision team. What a legend. We love her. Also, Connor. We've got friend of the podcast, pal of the podcast, Melfest Michal, absolute legend. Love him. The OG Eurovision The OG, supporter. absolutely. The first person we ever told that we were going to do this yeah. podcast. yeah. Had, he, we had to have him on. We had to have a thoughts. And he is such a good background for these kind of things. He's got a songwriting experience, his PR experience, social media. He is a great man to sound. have involved. He's in sound. That's it. At and he's essence. got good taste and he's got good style. And you know what? He's good crack. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's what we want. Yeah. That's what we want. Yeah. Same yeah. same goes for Alex. <laughs> and of course, who we else? have Tommy. Yeah. Who we've had on before for a couple of different things. Most recently for our Eurovision Psychic competition. He's a great pal of the pod. He does great work over with Eurovox. We love them over there. And yeah, he always has good insight and he always has really good things to say. And again, he's sound. Yeah. He's good crack. He's Irish. <laughs> he's one of us. One of us. <laughs> Actually, so far, apart from Alex, we've all had like Miss Mr. Worldwide's. Like yeah. he's he's on Ireland as well. And speaking of Mr. Worldwide, mm. a new voice coming to the podcast, which I'm very excited about. Yes, ESE Tom, the who one, of the only you will know from YouTube with his analytical synopsis about Eurovision. What a guy! He is great for the Love stats. the way he speaks. He is so, so on interesting point with so many things, yeah. and he's Irish. Hey, <laughs> and he's sad, hey! and he's good crack. Hey! <laughs> 
Uh oh. Do you think I'm sounding good crack? Right, moving on. No, I'm joking. Ah, no! I'm joking. Nah, you're lovely. Check you're lovely. No, check you. Check you. Leave Checky in the past. Leave Checky in the past. Leave her. Leave them. Never. Oh, I'm going to have nightmares about Vesna. <laughs> so, the episode's barely started and we're going into delusions. So, I think let's. <laughs> Let, let's oh, let's Jesus. let's get to the serious part of the conversation. Let's bring our friends in. Mm-hmm. Are we ready? Let's do this. Hit play. Right, guys, we are on to the next part of our special episode dedicated to looking at what Ireland should do next at the Origin Song Contest. And we are joined by some familiar faces, both on the podcast and on the Eurovision community on YouTube. So I'm going to go through each person, let them introduce themselves. First kicking off, I'm going to kick it off with Tommy. Do you want to introduce yourself again? Yes, hi, I'm Tommy. I'm a massive Eurovision fan since I was a young kid. And now I'm also a contributor for Eurovox, one of the fan media YouTube channels and sites. So, yeah, thank you for having me. Welcome back to the podcast, Tommy. Always good to chat to you. Uh, Michal, we'll fly over to you next. I'm sure a lot of listeners are familiar with you. Hey, thank you so much for having me back. Firstly, I always love chatting to you both. Um, yeah, Michal O'Keen here, or Melfest. Michal, if you're an Eurovision frequent listener, uh, founder of Eurovision Hub, the, the home of Eurovision reaction videos. And um, yeah, like I said, great to be back chatting with you both. Always welcome back. Always welcome back. Also back for another time is Alex. Hello, how are we? Uh, I'm Alex Basmati, and I'm also a big Eurovision fan. And I want to preface everything that I say today with the fact that this is a Dublin Pride weekend. Um, so I'm feeling a little bit worse for wear. So please take everything with a pinch of salt. But thanks, guys, for having me back on. Good to see you with the Dublin Pride weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Was it 12 hours since we last saw each other? <laughs> and we want to give a big, big warm welcome to Tom. Please introduce yourself to the podcast, Tom. Hey guys, thank you so much for having me. Uh, my name is Tom on YouTube. I'm ESC Tom. I do Eurovision analytical videos. And on Twitter, I'm at Eurovision Tom, where I just post nonsense about Eurovision. I love your tweets, Tom. And <laughs> oh, I to have you on the podcast. You. You're a big stats man. Am I right in thinking that? I, I love a stat. I will never say no to a stat. Okay, well, hopefully the stats are going to come into play in this conversation today because I think we're going to be getting into the nitty gritty, right, Connor? Oh, absolutely. This is like a big episode. We have a lot to discuss. Yeah, and it's definitely going to be free flowing. So if you have an opinion, you can raise your hand or dive in, whatever. But we want to be constructive. We don't want to be critical. We know what's happened in the past. We know what's going on. But we just want to add our thoughts to the conversation as you know it's summertime time of reflection for what's happened what's going to happen going forward we know of course that Ireland's submissions are opened already which is a big step you know so far so we just want to touch on everything like that what we should do going forward into the future basically yeah so it's gonna be interesting to me and a bit of criticism is also natural I think we want to be as helpful as possible so this is kind of a very nice way to phrase this question. And Mihol, I'm going to throw it to you first. Ireland and Eurovision, what do you feel we could be doing better? Or in other words, what do you think has been kind of going wrong? We've had one qualification in the last decade. Pretty poor stat. The first of many stats, I'm sure, to come. Um, 
Yeah. What do you think? What could we be doing better? I think we could be focusing on getting the song because we have had great acts. Uh, we've had confident acts, but we haven't had the song. So I just think what we could be doing better is, well, like what we are doing better, we're opening up our net. Like if you go fishing for an hour, you don't really catch that many fish. But if you fish all day, then you're more likely to get more fish. Therefore, that's what I feel Ireland are doing right now. They're allowing more time to get the song. So I, I think that's that's what I would say, because Brooke was great. Wild Youth are a fantastic act. Leslie was competent, you know what I mean? So, But their songs weren't it. You know, if we're being honest here, the songs weren't it. So I guess that kind of opens up the whole debate of national final versus internal selection. So would any of you be still for a national final or would you be kind of veering towards that looking for the song i'm definitely up for a national final still um my main reason for that is when they when we last had internal selection i just wasn't happy with what we got and um, so maybe down the line it is something that i would be open to but at the moment i would really like the public to still have a massive I think it depends on the situation. So I think they should be open to both. For example, if we had a big act whose demand was that they're internally selected, being open to both options let us allows us to be able to choose that person. Because there might be some people who don't want to go through the possible embarrassment of going into a national final and not qualifying. So I think there's being open to both is will be more strategically beneficial for us. Tommy, what are your thoughts there, internal versus national selection? Yeah, so I go back and forth on it quite a lot, but I would have to say in the end, I think internal selection is best for Ireland because especially if we don't have the budget for a national final, if it's going to be a budget national final that isn't that impressive and has some filler acts that aren't of the quality that you would want to be selecting from, then I would prefer if we went to an internal selection where, for example, they can pursue like uh, established acts um, outside the public glare, you know, negotiate with them, sell them the idea, sell them the package and let them know what they can achieve, like from participating in Eurovision. And I think even like while well, you said it on the Late Late Show last year, that some people said they were mental to be even going for Eurovision because they had a lot to lose in terms of their reputation if they didn't win the national final. So I think for that reason, at the moment, at the moment where we are at the moment, I think an internal selection would be best. We, Connor and I have gone into more detail on our feelings, obviously earlier in this episode, but I would definitely agree with internal selection personally. And that's kind of always been my feeling. I just feel like there's a lot of faffing around in January and February when you could already have your act selected. You could be tweaking the song. You could be focusing on the song. As Michal mentioned, it is about the song at the end of the day and the quality of the song, how you're staging it, how you're packaging it. Do you agree, Connor? Yeah, I'm actually very similar to Tommy in terms of switching between the two. I'm at the moment very much for an internal selection, but I completely agree with Alex in terms of what we've gotten in the past from internal selections hasn't been up to par. So um, it, it's a hard one to know, you know. And could we say as well, I, like, I don't know, this may be slightly unfair because this is maybe my personal opinion, but in the national selection this year, the acts that were fast-tracked I, I don't know if I would say they were necessarily better quality than the the 4X who kind of had to fight to, to get into the national section, like the likes of Connolly was very popular and Adji and K-Money and, and he were quite liked by the public um, in comparison maybe to Public Image Limited who were fast-tracked and and so on. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one, the, the, the way that we do it and the way that we construct our national section. 
it does appear now that we know that the submissions have opened earlier and from the statement that RTE have put out that there will be televised songs next year, early 2024. It didn't reference the Late Late Show. So it's kind of common knowledge, I think, that a lot of Irish Eurovision fans want us to move away from the Late Late Show. And Connor and I have been very vocal about that over the last couple of years. If we're moving away from the Late Late Show, does anybody have any strong opinions on how we could do a national selection um, in terms of like a venue size, how it would work? Any models across Europe you think we should look to? So my first thing, this is where it gets a bit difficult for me because we don't know all the behind the scenes stuff. And that's where it gets a little bit frustrating in terms of where to criticize because we don't want to give unfair criticism. We don't know all the financial details of constraints that people in the delegation have. Um, I would definitely like to see a little bit more innovation. I think there's countries who are smaller than us with bigger financial constraints who still seem to find a workaround so that they are able to come up with a good product. So like Czechia have a seem to change up their national final every year. You know, San Marino came up with something new. It didn't work amazing last year, but they are innovating. Um, so I would just like to see that kind of like thinking outside the box, problem solving. That's the type of action that portrays to me that they're really passionate. They're looking for solutions. But again, we don't know what their constraints are. And that's my frustration. I don't know if they're just doing the best with their means. It does seem that way. Like from our conversation that we had with Michael Keeley, the head of delegation last year, it does seem to be like a lack of resources and definitely actually a lack of manpower seems yeah. to be the number one issue from what we have been learning. Uh, Michal, I'm interested in your thoughts on a potential national selection. Like, you know, you have a lot of songwriting experience. You have a lot of PR experience. You kind of have a lot of experience around this this whole world. What are your thoughts? I'm in two minds. I echo a lot of what you guys said about internal or national final. If a national final is done right, then 100%, you know, when you're not having filler songs, it's a great platform for artists, especially new artists, you know, to, to export their music around Ireland. Um, yeah, I think I would like to see the Late Late Show national final Eurosong taken out of the RT studio and put into a different venue. You know, ideally, we would love everything to turn around as Eurofans stood away and have, I don't know, not a Melfest, but like a Benidorm, you know, this brand new production. But I'd like to see like I'd like to see steps being taken over the years. So maybe a national final not inside the RT studio, because a lot of complaints come from the fact that it doesn't lend itself sonically, uh, spacious-wise, uh, very well to artists and songs. And it doesn't prepare artists for the main stage at Eurovision. So a national final that is outside of RTE. Um, again, we don't know what resources RTE are working with. Maybe it's not a complete standalone show, but even just like a rebrand. Uh, you know, some. I think what we'd like to see is just a wee bit of. We want that reassurance that there's love being put behind, put behind it, and that there's love being put in behind uh, Eurovision in Ireland. If that makes any sense. Um, that for me would be nice to see we positive changes like like the, the song submission period I think that's the first time ever that's happened um, so stuff like that means a lot to us Euro fans in Ireland so I think yeah seeing 
progress would be good for me. There has been obviously a lot of talk about the late late. And when we spoke to Michael last year, he did say that, you know, he's not dealing with just his own Eurovision team or, you know, himself, but he has to deal with the late, late show team about how that show works. And obviously that's added complications because you have then people who produce the late, late show, not producing a Euro song special, who know Eurovision, you know, we're getting the same cheesy Euro kind of vision things from the past that we kind of want to move away from. So for us anyway, we felt that this year was a slight improvement and not a huge step, but it was a small little step. So do you guys think that, it, you know, moving it out to another venue would make that huge difference? Not only for giving the acts more of, you know, space to actually explore staging ideas and, you know, get a better interaction with the proper crowd, but just for the show itself. Yeah, I think just from what I've learned um, from how it works is it's very much, um, I suppose, down to the constraints of the Late Late Show itself. It's more so like a, a feature spot on the Late Late Show rather than, like a, a national final, really. Um, and as I said earlier, I'm definitely pro-national final still. Um, and I, I think what Tom said about thinking outside the box and looking at innovation is so important. And I personally wouldn't even be that against doing something with uh, that involves pre-recording. Um, and the reason for that is I know, I think when you guys had have ch- chatted about this in the past, one of the biggest issues that they come up against having a live national final is all of the production go- that goes into that is very expensive um, which we know budget constraints are an issue um, I think if they looked at uh, possibly uh, pre-recording some uh, uh, the acts with a live audience and maybe um, having a live uh, results night or something like that I wouldn't be against it um, but again I don't know what the the perfect answer is because we don't know what goes on behind closed doors um, and what the what the restrictions are. But back to the Late Late Show. um, Yeah, I think a standalone at least would be definitely the way to go. And on that note of of budget constraints, I mean, the elephant in the room, it's like it's always awkward talking about money, you know, like with, with anything. And like it's in the news at the moment in relation to RT, like financial things going on. So I I don't know how everybody else feels about this, but and and we don't get a breakdown of what every single country spends in Eurovision every year. So we can't like say things with full certainty. But it does appear that there are other countries who probably have small budgets. We don't know what that is relative to us or other countries, so we can't compare properly. But they seem to make the best of what they have. And the word Tom was using was innovation. And I think that's so true. Countries also tend to evolve their selections. So like Czechia is a great example where they start small and they've been building it up over the years into something bigger. Do you think that's a a valid excuse, having a lower budget than other countries? Like, does anybody think that that's rubbish and it's, it's not maybe applicable to us? Or do you think there is something to be said for being a Sweden or a France? I think that there's several strategies you can have for the national final. One of them is innovation, coming up with new stuff. But you can also go down the traditional route. Like if you look at Melody Festival in Sweden, San Remo, I know it's not national final, but it has used as a selection. And Melody Grand Prix, these contests have massive history, tradition. They've got traction in their in their countries and people want to enter them not just for the opportunity to go to Eurovision but because it's a great show and they kind of almost pay for themselves like 
I'm pretty sure Melody Festival and is not working at a huge loss. I have to admit, maybe Michal knows some of the financial details. But um, like if if you're going to build a national fund, you got to put the work in over years and give it an identity. And you can't have an identity if you're a side act on the Late Late Show. So that's one of my major qualms with that, is that how is it building up like this traditional thing that kids will watch and then 20 years later enter and represent Ireland if it's changing all the time, the name is changing and it's on different shows and you can't expect a national fund to just pay out immediately. you got to put the work in. Yeah, I definitely uh, echo what Tom is saying, like especially with the public engagement part, because we've seen how the engagement from the public with Eurovision in Ireland has just kind of fallen off over the past couple of years. And when we go back to the time when we did have like our last big national selection series, which was Eurostar, people were so into it and like knew when Eurovision was happening and knew the artists, knew the songs. Now, uh, I'd say for the majority of people, they don't really know when the selection is happening on the Late Late Show. They probably just tune in and see it and it's been a surprise to them. Um, so, yeah, I think there is a benefit of like building a brand, building a certain level and standard also for the artists that they can aspire to like they know exactly what they're entering into they know the production value they know how they're going to be perceived i think that will help a lot i think i mean if i try to think of the closest thing that i've seen on rte recently that has the same production value of some of the european um national selections is dancing with the stars so i don't know if they can think creatively to make use of the dancing with the stars set in advance with the technology that they have for that one um before that series kicks off to have the national final in the same studio. Um, but yeah, a bit of creative thinking. Also, like countries like Spain have been thinking creatively to involve like one of the regional governments to provide funding to create a, like a festival in Benidorm and they made a tourist attraction out of it. So, you know, there could be different ways of being creative to try and solve problems that aren't just about like paying out large amounts of cash. I think everyone kind of touched on it there, but creativity is it seems to be the big issue amongst the Eurovision RT team. Um, is there anything out of the box that any of you would would like to see from the RT Eurovision kind of approach going forward? We mentioned kind of the usual topic points, but anything that hasn't been mentioned before um, that you feel that might be a good step for, for Ireland, might be unique to Ireland going forward? I think we have a problem with the talent recruitment, for sure. I mean, it seems so passive at the moment to just make an announcement on the Late Late Show one night in September and it's kind of like they will come to us because they need us more than we know we need we need them but it's completely not the case there needs to be more of RTE or it doesn't have to be RTE it could be uh, outsourced to somebody creating a campaign networking building a vision for artists who you know have a lot going on for themselves and is a risk for them to enter Eurovision so you need to make, create a bit of a campaign and a buzz and create um, something that they want to aspire to and engage with um, they need to be actively recruited rather than like passively waiting for uh, for them to come to RTE to take part in a Late Late Show special. And if they don't want to come forward, I think it's up to the delegation to be talking to these people and saying, what's your barrier? And identifying, okay, why don't you want to come? Is it because of X, because of Y? Go to Roshino, go to the people who are in the charts. Why don't you put your song forward and find out why? That's the type of innovation that I, I but maybe they're doing that. I don't know. It's hard to say. And like, do you, do, I'm interested in what everyone thinks. Do you think we take enough risks? Like, do you think we're a country who maybe plays it safe a little bit? Yes. In terms of what we send? Yes. Do you think so? As a, as a Dustin the Turkey stan, I think we return to that era and just throw all <laughs> our toys out the pram. Um, but yeah, I do think let's take a risk. And what a great opportunity now going into this next year. We don't know what we're going to get. But I think 
take a risk. Um, as I said, I, I'm up for off the wall uh, innovation. Um, but yeah, and I think charts was mentioned there a few minutes ago. I think that's so important. That's something that we famously are not doing. Um, it, you know, if we're sending songs that are not charting in our own country, I don't know how we can expect other people to be charting them uh, in their countries. So I think that was a, a really good point as well. Alex, you brought up the whole charting issue with, with our songs. Do you feel that as a country we're backing our acts fully as, you know, Tommy, you also mentioned there, not a lot of people know that even our Euro song selection is happening when it, when it does happen. But do you feel as a country that, you know, when it comes to Eurovision May, it's nearly too late for us to start backing, backing us? Um, yeah. Yeah, I do think so, especially when, with Wild Youth, for example, I know they kind of had that built-in audience, which was great that they they had those fans there to cheer them on. Um, but with someone like Brooke, who's maybe a, a smaller artist, didn't have that um fan fandom behind her um I, I i feel like she just didn't have enough time to build that up um and still she did fantastic but i think it is great uh, a good start that they've now opened up the, the applications now i'd like to see things start moving quicker um in other elements of, of of our choices as well just to back up what alex just said the last time that we that the irish entry went to the top 10 in the irish charts was Jedward in 2012. I was waiting for Tom to come with a stat. It was a binary <laughs> stat. I got more if you want it. <laughs> <laughs> Keep them coming. Um, I was only talking to Connor before we we came on the call with you, and we were having a joke about like the the stages of Ireland and Eurovision being like the stages of grief. So you know you have denial where there was the point where it was like Europe hates us. It's you know, because they can all send songs in English now and the block voting, you know, all the things. And then we had anger along with that. Then we had bargaining. Like Connor said, we tried to send Neve Kavanagh again. Uh, we had depression, which like, listen, 2016, 2017, so on. And now acceptance. It feels like the last few years we've just accepted that like. We're not good. <laughs> we're terrible. Like we make this joke of like, oh, we get to grand final and you're just great because mm. you get to choose your nationality. Like you get to choose <laughs> who you're going to back because we're never in it. Like we've been in it once in the last decade. Um, I'm going to throw it out to all of you. You've been given the head of delegation hat for 2024 or let's say 2025. Um, what do you do? Like what do you put in motion? What questions do you ask within the organisation of RTE? What do you go looking to do? What kind of a plan do you make? Like, I, I I think I would want to make a short-term and a long-term plan. Like, I would want to sit down and figure it out. And I think I'd want manpower behind me. Mm-hmm. But does anybody have any pressing thoughts on what they would do if they were the head of delegation? I think, first of all, it needs to be a full-time, all-year job because Eurovision is pretty much all year round now between junior and adult. And even in the off-season, there's so much preparation that you need to get done ahead of time in terms of like artist engagement, et cetera, song selections and preparing for national final. So yeah, I think there needs to be a a full-time, fully dedicated person. And what else? I would love to see like RT collaborating with TG Cahar, like holding a space. If we do have a national selection, hold a space for TG Cahar, allow them to submit a song to the, you know, have a reserve space for a TG Cahar candidate. Um, even just to create a little bit of uh, rivalry or whatever it might be. But I think those those would be good some some good steps in the beginning. 
That's a really interesting concept because we know uh, with a country like Belgium that they they alternate broadcasters every year. But have we ever had in Eurovision a country where broadcasters collab or work together? Like not in my memory. So I think that's a really interesting idea. But Tom, you seemed receptive to some of what Tommy was saying there. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I really like that's the problem with us having RT working on Adult Eurovision and TG Car working Junior Vision is that they're two separate teams, I presume. I'm not sure. They are, yeah. yeah. Like, because I think France and Spain, I think their team works on both throughout the whole year. So I totally agree with Tommy in that if we had like a dedicated team, they build up more networking, they build up more relationships, it'll help for both and get more experience. As in terms of head of delegation, I think talking to fans would be good. That's like a free resource. There's so many Irish fans who are totally willing to give any help they can in any capacity. Yeah. Uh, I think going to the writing camps would be good as well. There's writing camps happening right now. Mm-hmm. If that person was full-time, they could fly there and be literally outside the rooms like, did you get a good song? Do you want to give it to us? <laughs> we'll internally select you. Um, talking to the top acts, again, finding out why don't they want to enter for us. And then also one thing that maybe we can talk about later is also pairing artists with appropriate songs. So I think we've already said earlier that our artists are great, but they've got to be with a song that matches their style and their what they're comfortable to do. Like I felt Brooke, she wrote the song herself and it really fit her. Whereas with Leslie, I felt like Leslie wrote in a, when she did Maps, it just felt like the staging didn't fit her. She looked a little bit uncomfortable. So there's that kind of like mismatch where you couldn't get the full benefit of it. So uh, last national final, I felt we had good songs, but then the performances weren't great. Whereas the year before that, I thought the performers were great, but the songs were weak. So you need both to have the full package. If I was head of delegation, yeah, my first step would have been to open up the submission periods a bit longer. I would be setting up songwriting camps all over the country. I would love several happening at once. I would give briefs. Um, I would really focus in on the fact that there's always a level of expectancy when it comes to certain countries. And we should we should recognize that when it comes to Ireland and maybe, I mean, Junior's a good example last year. You know, really tap in the fact that we've only sent one Irish song. Um, contact songwriters who write in Irish, try to get them involved. Um, and as someone mentioned, you know, reach out to the artists, talk to some artists over summer um sell the idea to them properly you know sell the fact that you know it's the world's biggest stage for music you know one time being seen could like i don't know double triple quadruple your streams on spotify for example i mean if they come back with the argument of no but i don't want to compete it's like well you're competing on all the other charts like spotify apple and the official ones this is no difference you know what i mean so really have a good argument when you're um talking to the artists and really sell it to them. Um, and then I guess I would really focus on the song, you know, whether I'd go internal or whether I'd do a national final. Um, so, yeah, I think that would be the first steps. But I really like the idea of, like, building this brand that, you know, becomes a tradition like Malfest, uh, like San Remo, that, you know, Irish kids will be like, oh, my God, I want to enter that when I'm older. And it just it keeps that tradition going. Um, so yeah, building a new identity for Eurosong, change changing the name, giving it um, giving it something that has legs and longevity. I think. 
for me. I feel like we know as well that we'll never have the Melfest model here. You know, like I think, but like you said, having something to work towards, like that tradition every year, even like the Belgian Euros size, or even the way UMK just had the one show this year with what eight songs, yeah. like perfect size. Um, we should mention as well, and we kind of mentioned this briefly earlier, but like obviously, if anybody from the delegation was listening to this, we are aware that like there isn't one man able to work on Eurovision year round. Yeah. And that like maybe that's kind of like a top-down thing. Like that's kind of the organization from from the, the top to the bottom of the, the organization. Like Michael Keeley works on the Rose of Tralee, he works on the New Year's show, sometimes he directs prime time. He does a ton of different things. So I suppose we understand that he can't devote all of his, his working time to uh, Eurovision as much as he might he might like to. He can't, doesn't physically have the time. So I'll just say briefly, because uh, you mentioned UMK, the, na- the Finnish national final, which recently has just been incredible. One thing about that this year is all seven songs in UMK this year, all were in, I think it was the top 15 of the Finnish Spotify chart before the show even happened. That for me is like the ultimate benchmark in what everyone should be looking for in a national final. So pretty much not everyone in the country, but a a large proportion of the country already knew all seven songs before the show happened. And these people are getting streams. They're instantly getting some reward back for competing in the competition. That is absolutely the benchmark, in my opinion. Very true. And I guess that opens a wider question question of really just how much RT cares about Eurovision when it comes to you know it's it's a song contest in May for them for the money that they put into it, it it's relatively cheap television um you know they have so much other productions throughout the year Rosa Trilly then they have their sporting with Champions League all that money goes into that you, you know do you think that RT cares about Eurovision now where they're happy with just sp- spending that amount of money for you know, the, the same viewing figures every year. You know, there hasn't been a dip in viewing figures. It, it actually went up this year in comparison to last year. So do you think that until we really see a, a sudden dip in viewing figures and commercial revenue for Eurovision at RT, that we really will see any big changes? Alex, you have your hand raised there. Yeah, just one uh, point that I wanted to raise, actually, um, before it went out of my head was the release of the songs themselves and how that's done. One thing that I was really disappointed by this uh, this year um, was the way that they did that. And I think it speaks to that question of do or do you care? How much passion is there in the overall organisation if they're just releasing the songs on the RTE website Really, there was no run up to it. Um, that week we were, I think, all expecting quite a lot, maybe a bit too much. But what we got, I'm sorry, but I thought that was really disappointing. And even from chatting to some of the artists that were involved in that, I don't think they really knew what were, what was going on as well. And they seemed a bit confused. I know, for example, that Wild Youths didn't release their song on Spotify until weeks after because that had been pre um predetermined for them and they didn't seem to be aware that that release was happening on the RT website so then they lost out on streams it's small things like that I think that can be really disappointing because I personally think that is not a, a massive job to do um and it just takes a little bit of passion and um planning for things like that 
I guess, uh, I don't know, it's difficult. I guess they have a lot of things to care about. So then it becomes a matter of prioritizing. So yeah, yeah obviously they're always going to prioritize like news and current affairs and documentaries and things like that. But I don't know. I think it has to be about, for Eurovision specifically, it has to be more, more that more that about more than just the viewing figures and if they make money out of it. Because it's an international competition and it's your chance to showcase your culture and your talented artists on a world stage. Mm. Um, so... I wonder even if there's like a case for um, asking for funding from the government because this is a special case, you know, maybe it shouldn't come out of the public uh, broadcaster remit. Maybe it should be from Falcha Ireland or from the Department of Tourism that they need some special funding to promote the country that way. Um, but yeah, I think it, ca- it has to be about more than just viewing figures and uh, the amount of money that they spend. And I think they should care about it, you know, because we have so much history with it. So, yeah. And I think they have the ability to care about other things that maybe aren't so important. But I mean, it's all a matter of, of opinion. But um, I don't know. Do we need to see every under 21 club GA match on the television? <laughs> I don't know. Well, Is that a priority? I'm a culture. I'm a culture. So I'm allowed to say it. <laughs> I'm sure. Speaking of government funding, we know our T Shock Leo Bradkers, big Eurovision fan. So. Show you us know, the money, Leo. We did Show show us the money. Six, six, yeah. six one day. We, we saw him and Connor was like, funding for Eurovision, Mia? Half three in the morning. <laughs> Fund Eurovision. <laughs> Tom, you have your hand raised there. So just coming to the top about whether they care, I think this brings up an issue of the role the public has to play. If you saw this year, how Netherlands didn't, even before they didn't qualify, the public weren't happy with the standard of their song and there was absolute and utter outrage on all the talk shows. Everyone was talking about it. There's no way that the broadcaster Avrados didn't know what was going on. We've qualified once in the last decade and there doesn't seem to be much of a furore about it. There doesn't seem to be very much pressure on RT. So this is the thing is that I think the main strategy we need is getting the public more invested in it so that there is more pressure on RT and then they will care because there'll be an incentive for them to care. And part of swaying the public is getting them away from all this political nonsense, um, which I felt was a tiny bit better this year. I think the UK winning the jury and coming second last year helped a bit with that because we were often in the same situation as them and suddenly we lost our excuse buddy so we're kind of on our own. <laughs> we're the only person who nobody likes politically, apparently. It doesn't really make sense. So yeah, I think we need that public pressure. And so how do we sway the public's opinion? I think there's some journalists who are working to do that, um, like Chrissy Blake-Knox, who's working with The Independent. Yeah. She's been doing a lot of articles recently about how to solve the problem. Yeah, so many great points there. And it also, this is something I always say to you, Connor, when we're even just having our own personal chats about it, like... It all, for me, it comes down to what's our purpose in Eurovision? You know, what's the vision? Why are we there? I know that in junior Eurovision, it's very clear to me with TG Carr that the purpose is to showcase the Irish language mm-hmm. and to give the Irish language a platform. And therefore, they really, really care about it. Not, not so much about results, because at the end of the day, it's a children's yeah. show. Um, and it's more really about the child going and enjoying the experience and showing their talent. But it they they care about how they look, about how the performance looks. They care about how it sounds. They care about how it represents us as a nation and ultimately how it represents our language, our national language. So then it just begs the question to Orti, what is our purpose? Mm-hmm. Why, why do we go to Eurovision year in, year out? Because like, there's been no real hesitation from what we'd 
know of to keep going in every year so like is it is it about your viewing figures is it about cheaper television than other things they could be producing it's um that's that's what I always wonder that is what I always ponder when it comes to us mm-hmm. um why are we there why are we turning up and I, I would nearly prefer we were turning up with like a Shanos song or something really traditional every year even if we weren't qualifying but that I knew well it we're showcasing our culture and we're showcasing some of our traditional music I'd go fair enough you know mm. but but we're not and uh, like oftentimes the songs that we send they don't chart and they're not on the radio so that's very depressed <laughs> <laughs> we're in the depressed the depression stage of the, the stages degree well, when you think about it like god jesus um <laughs> i think we should finish off on a lighter note yeah actually there's one point though because yes. I've, I've just checked our, our dms and stuff and i think it would be unfair for not unfair but i think it wouldn't be right for us to to bring up the head of delegation role obviously there's a lot of discussion about people wanting a new person in charge new blood um, and it w- would be wrong of us to shy away from that. But, you know, without being negative or anything like that, do you guys feel that it is time for change? Or are we on, the on you know, a good pathway now of, you know, being open, opening submissions, trying different things year in, year out? What are your guys' thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's good to have some fresh blood, a fresh perspective, new energy, and some extra passion. But I think the experience that has been gained over the past 10 years shouldn't disappear. So whatever role Michael Keeley would have if he wasn't to be head of delegation, he should still be close to Eurovision, I think, because obviously he knows it very well. He knows the logistics. He has a lot of experience. He has a lot of skill in that regard. But I do see the advantage for someone with uh, more of a creative passion, not saying that he doesn't, but um, yeah, fresh blood, fresh energy, new perspective, all those things. Yeah, uh, I think it's a bit of a knee-jerk reaction to just focus all the blame onto him. Like I said, there could be plenty of other factors if he's not getting any support, if he's not getting any money, if he's asking for things and they're being rejected, maybe all the songs submitted to him are terrible. Maybe all the acts he approached say no. So, you know, if you get rid of him and bring in a new person, that person's going to have the exact same problem. So it doesn't really solve anything. Again, we don't really know what's going on behind the scenes. But uh, yeah, I think it's just a quick fix. I think if you want to change up the delegation, maybe give him some extra help use the fans like i said who are willing to work for i'd say a couple of fans be willing to work for free bring in some interns bring in someone to help them give them that extra manpower don't just take the quick fix get rid of him i agree um i think it may be actually searching for someone to advocate for them on a higher level um i really don't think it's down to one person and as you guys mentioned earlier it does seem to be maybe higher up in the organization where priorities are like budgets things like this are decided and so maybe it's about finding advocates uh in other places within the organization Um, and then also drafting in maybe interns or um some new people to work around him um and and give him that support that he needs and can i just say i really loved the Eurovision um episode that you guys did with him uh, last year that was so eye-opening um and i think it answered so many questions and i thought he was really generous on the amount of insight that he gave like he doesn't owe us that information but for me as a euro fan it made um 
it gave me a much better understanding of some of the issues that he's facing um, as the head of dedication. So again, well done guys on that. That was really, really good. Thank you, Alex. And I, I will say as well, like on a personal note in terms of our relationship with Michael Keeley, he has been very giving with his Absolutely. time and answering questions. And of all the head of delegations, I feel like he's the one who people know the most. Yeah. And I suppose maybe people feel he has more questions to answer than other head of delegations as well. So there's that. But he, he has been very giving with his time. And I do feel that he's been quite open to listen to feedback. Absolutely. Once people are obviously respectful mm-hmm. with it. Um, Michal, have you any other thoughts there? I feel like you guys said everything. I agree with it all. I think that he should stay in his position, but he needs a hand and he needs a wee bit of money. Um, and he'd be on his way. But um it feels like there's like change coming. It's like what when when you're stuck with like loads to do, it's like if you've got loads of housework to do and you're only one person, it's gonna take a wee bit longer. But like many hands make light work. You know what I mean? So it's kind of that vibe, just um yeah. Every, everything you said, just a wee bit of support, a wee bit of guidance, but he's got a lot of experience. He's done this before. So um the foundations are there. It just needs nice wee bricks now to build it up. So yeah, everything you said I agree with. It's great to hear that we're all on a consensus about, you know, him staying um and you know, just giving him more support because like you said, like he's he's so open, he's so transparent with things, and it's clear that from our interview anyway, from speaking with him, we both kind of came out of it thinking that, you know, it's it's a bigger issue, uh, you know, organization-wise, RTE just need to give him more support as, as, you know, for the Eurovision Eurovision RTE team. That's that's what needs the support as opposed to changing the whole, the whole team around, you know, getting rid of him and stuff like that. But it's great to see that there's a consensus with that, which is, which is nice. And that whole idea that a few people here have been mentioning about like an intern or mm-hmm. somebody to come in and help them. I like that idea because, and you see it in a lot of workplaces or organizations where somebody is nearly mentored into a role. Mm-hmm. And then should the organization move on, then you're not dropping somebody fresh into the delegation. Yeah. Somebody who's been learning, who's been experiencing. So it kind of, if, I'm sure there's so many capable people and willing people out there to to take on a role like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I volunteer as intern. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the hunger. Day I want the job. <laughs> Tom volunteers as tribute. <laughs> Don't edit that bit out. I want it saved so that everyone heard. I asked for the job first. <laughs> we we we'll back you, Tom. We'll yeah. back you. ESC Tom jumped in first. He's first in the queue. Um. I would love to finish out by just asking everybody, and like yourself and Jude Connor, I know we talk about this all the time. Dream Irish act for Eurovision. If you were the salesperson and you could go directly to one or two Irish acts and convince them to do Eurovision for us and try and turn the tide and get us qualified into the final, whose door would you be knocking on? I'm going to kick it off and say Lyra is the obvious one for a lot of fans. Mm-hmm. A lot of people love Lyra. Um, I've been really backing this group called Imlay um, and Shabale and Roche and Choga because I would love some Irish language representation to go into adult Eurovision for us. So that would be my pick. I, I loved Lucy Blue. She is mm-hmm. a, an artist she that I've discovered. Yeah, she mm-hmm. does. She's an artist that I've discovered over lockdown and she's still up and coming. She's, you know, not a lot of people would know. She's not getting a lot of radio play, but she has great music. She's a great vocalist. She's young. She's got an image as well, which is really important. I feel like, you know, you need to have that artistic representation throughout your music and your look and your styling. So 
for me, I think that'd be one, but I'd love Roshino as well. I love Roshino. Her music's brilliant. Um, but yeah, those would be the the two for me, I think. I'm gonna say Seamat. I think her songwriting is really unique and quite intelligent and clever and quirky. And I think her as a performer, she also has a good stage pre- presence and like a really good visual, a really good aesthetic. And she see her her songs and her presentation all seems very authentic as a package. So I think she has the star quality that would be needed. See Matt for me. The person that jumps to my mind first would probably be Erica Cody. Um, I have seen her kind of on the peripherals of Eurovision. I believe she was on our jury this year. Um, and she she's been kind of engaged um in the competition for a couple of years. She she's she knows Brooke as well. Um, and I think she'd be fantastic. I think it's really down to the song, right? I mean, um, we all know that. So uh, however, I do think she'd bring a lot of passion um, and the fans, I think, would really get behind her because I know that um, she would put in a lot of work and she'd have the dance moves and she, she'd be really invested in the competition. I want Brooke back, by the way, um, at least next five years, I'm hoping I, I'm manifesting it right now for us. Um, and then my third answer would be someone um, that we wouldn't expect, like K Money and ND, can we say, wow they did so fantastic and their song you wouldn't have necessarily expected to be entered but it was so well received um it showcased a different side of the irish music industry um, and i think that could be a really cool direction that we could go in uh, even if it's not next year over the next 10 years i'd love to see an act like that too definitely Afrobeats is really up and coming yeah. even keen Ducro recently mm-hmm. featuring on a really good Afrobeat song and uh Brooke back with the ballad. Yeah. That's what I want. <laughs> Tom, anyone in particular in mind for you? I'm going to go old school. I want Enya. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think she's going to leave her castle for your vision, but you asked me who I want. That's who I want. And also, Connor, you meant, I think you mentioned Roisin O. Mm. She just did an interview with the Irish Independent saying that she wants to go to Eurovision if she had support. That is in writing, so we need to give her support so she goes. Having spoken to her in my work one day and forcing her, being like, would you do your revision? She said that oh, she would definitely be in person, it, just so. force her to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she's definitely one that's shown interest, and I know Imle, of course, as well, have shown interest too. So there again, there's loads of acts out there that would have some sort of interest. It's just about hammering down and getting to you know to go to. I just feel like the fans are starting to do a lot of the networking. That's it. <laughs> Hall, what about you? Who would you like to see in Ireland? Pl- I have a playlist ready. So my number one is uh, Louise. You said her name probably. Sibyl. 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 So she yeah. is my number one. She is going to be our eighth win. I'm sure of it. <laughs> um, number two is Luz. Luz. Yes. Then I have Kian Ducrot. Yeah. I have... <laughs> I have. This is like my dad. Yeah. I like to pronounce it. and <laughs> <Kian> Ducrow. <laughs> yeah. I have Pashihi. Oh, yeah. Pashihi. I have um, obviously Lyra's on everyone's lips. Uh, Tim Chadwick. Um, who else do I have? Uh, Fontaine's DC. Fizzy Orange. Picture this. Uh, yeah, my list is endless, but my number one is Chabelle. Another name that gets thrown around a lot is Ortegartland. Yeah. Um, actually a childhood friend of mine, believe <laughs> it or not. A bit crazy. Um, there's so much Irish talent though, right? Yeah, there there is. And again, it's just about 
hammering down the you know positive impacts that the Eurovision Song Contest can have on your career. It's not about winning. Simply getting to the final can do so much. Simple things like that. That shouldn't be our aim, but you know, it's just simple things of how Eurovision can throw your career into a whole different stratosphere now. So it's just about trying to convince them. Tom, you have your hand raised. A great example of that is Joker out this year, who came 21st for Slovenia. And they just sold out a couple of venues in the UK to the point that they had to find bigger venues to accommodate how many people wanted to buy tickets to their concerts. So there's an example. They they got to the final and they're selling out concerts in the UK. Thank you very much, Alex. Thank you, Michal. Thank you, Tommy. And thank you, Tom, ESC Tom, on YouTube for taking the time to join us today. It's been a really eye-opening discussion. And I think one will probably be continuing to have um, as time goes on. And fingers crossed for 2024. <laughs> Bring it on. Bring it on. Gurmina Mahabib, guys. Okay, that was a really, really interesting conversation. Thank you so, so, so much to Alex, to Michal, to Tom and to Tommy for joining us. We really, really appreciate their time, their expertise and their opinions on all things Ireland in Eurovision. Great laugh. And the thing I always love about those Zooms, like when we have a group on is... As well as the recorded chats, it's like the chats we have afterwards yeah. and the little catch-ups and <laughs> well, stuff. Well, how are you? How are you? How are you? Yeah, what are you up to? <laughs> so, yeah, it's brilliant. Thank you to them again. Really greatly appreciated. I think for now, anyway, we've like squeezed all that we can out of the the tube of like what can Ireland do? And we've had so many voices involved for now. So I'm going on a little holiday. Yes. Connor's working away. We might see some of you in Manchester. Yeah, Manchester calling. At the end of July. We're going We're going abroad again. Mr. and Mrs. Worldwide. Oh. So, yeah, we may see some of you out and about. Please come and say hello to us. If you see us anywhere, we'd love to see you. And keep an eye out because it's going to be a little bit quiet for a couple of weeks after this episode drops. Given we're away and you know the post-production <clears throat> takes a bit longer after we record and so on so there'll be a little bit of a gap but in August and September we're going to have some bangers dropping of episodes if I do say so myself yes. do you agree Connor? I agree we're some... getting a few very interesting people on to talk yeah some great guests in the lineup. so do stick around don't yeah. go anywhere yeah and it'll be the Eurovision New Year before we know it it'll be September 1st oh, Jesus I'm still trying to recover from 2023 no matter <laughs> Connor's like a bit traumatised he's like he's like I don't know if I, I don't know what I'm doing I don't know if I'm going to Sweden I don't know yeah, everybody's like, like Lou are you going to Sweden I'm like yeah and, I'm and Connor's like, like oh, I'm still recording coming from Liverpool like what do you mean pending pending I don't know I'll decide, I'll decide soon I'll bring him don't worry <laughs> I'll be in the suitcase. <laughs> if there's anything both Connor and I ha- get or have, it's FOMO. True, yeah, yeah. FOMO, I say it now. Mo, Mo, oh, Mo, gosh. take a video, it's FOMO. <laughs> Fear of missing out. On that um, note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'll he'll be he'll be there, guys, don't worry. He'll be there. <laughs> That's the decision made, I guess. Yeah. The work. It's the same wife. with Manchester calling. The I work was like, wife. Uh, and oh, we were, were on like, night out and I was like, Connor, you're coming to Manchester. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no choice. And then I came in today. I was like, have you booked your ticket? No. And I, I booked it. But within five minutes, then. he booked it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm officially going. Sometimes you just need the work wife to give yeah. you a bit of a, bit of a, a Linda Martin style poke. Oh, fucking hell. Don't remind me about that. Did we ever sell our story in the podcast? Poke, poke. Yeah, we did. Yeah. 
It was God. probably the first thing you said after Liverpool yeah. in the podcast. God, that was a fucking mental. Yeah. Mm. But there we have it, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to our little two-parter series, Thank which just you. had to be done. Uh, I thought it was helpful. I thought it was constructive. I don't feel like anybody was being overly critical because, look, we don't want to make things personal, as we've said, to like delegations or to individuals. And, you know, it's all about the broadcasting, the organisation and us being represented as a country as a nation so thank you so much for listening thank you so much for joining in the discussion online if you have done so of course don't miss out on any more future discussion and any more future episodes that are going to drop our social medias where have you been if you're not following them airvision podcast on instagram at airvision pod on twitter airvision podcast on tiktok tiktok is a hopping at the moment get over there see what we are posting up we're on youtube the full joker out interview is up there it's a good bit of fun if you want to go and check that out lots of fun laughs from there you can of course also email us at airvisionpodcast at gmail.com but for now it's a brief adios it's a slon gaffole and we will chat to you closer to the end of the summer ah. yeah. yeah good luck down under Safe travels. Have a great time. Promise me it's gonna be alright. Oh, 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 oh. I'm so glad that um, none of Connor's family are in the yeah. house right now. <laughs> like, what the fuck? But there you go. Goodbye, mate. <laughs> and all there is to say is. Slong Gaffal. Should